Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Holly, for all of that. And thank you. It is an annual rite of passage, right, that I get all weirded out toward the end of the year and I sweat bullets and I ruin Christmas and all that kind of stuff And because I'm just anxious about whether or not we're going to make our goals in, in all kinds of ways toward the end of the year. And sure enough, uh, man, uh, we came through really, really well this year. Uh, and, and not just where our budget was concerned. I want you to, here, here's, I'm just sort of swimming around in some gratitude today, so just hear me out here a little bit. Um, as I was thinking back, it wasn't just that people came through like they did and came through, so we, we uh, exceeded our budget, so thank you for that. But thinking all the way back to the Christmas blessing and so grateful for what Lisa and what Maria did. And, and how often do you hear this? But Lisa and Maria went from class to class and made us aware of what we would need to do uh, as we were going to undertake this Christmas blessing, which was, a, which was a, in so many ways a resource for our walkable neighborhood. And it, they said, here's what we need. And finally what they said was, okay, and now we don't need any more volunteers. Now we don't need any more toys. We don't need any more donations. We don't need any more money. Wow, because you came through. Now, more people showed up than we thought, and so we're going to have a bigger event next year. And the giving tree, you came through, came through in incredible ways. You did what is uh, said here, and you already heard this today uh, from, from uh, somebody else. The word became flesh. This is in the message, and we're going to circle all the way back to this later on. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It became tangible. It became touchable. And that's what you did through the holiday season. You, you made faith tangible and touchable. You made faith uh, you made faith something that could be experienced by one's body and not just one's soul. <laughs> There's not a whole lot more in our context today that is more worthless than a bodiless gospel. If the gospel does not have tangibility, friends, if the gospel does not have tangibility, it is not the gospel. It has never just been about souls. I'm not denying that we need to have spiritual conversations and that souls need to be cared for. I'm not denying that at all. What I'm saying is every soul comes in a body. And that to have a discussion about the soul that does not reach the body is, again, not the gospel. And so to further demonstrate and communicate the absolute necessity of the tangibility of the gospel, we bring trees onto the platform. Like, those are fake back there. 
they're beautiful, but they are not real. The yarn ones are not real. Uh, but this is a real tree. And in fact, it's one of two trees that will be, because of this sermon series, will be planted somewhere on our property to constantly remind us, I mean, this is a tree that you, you, you can and you'll be able to walk up and touch to remind us of the tangibility of the gospel, the tangibility, the touchability of this faith, this Christian thing that we're trying to do. When we made the decision years ago that we were gonna stick around here uh, and build the coal center, we, we said this, and you can't see it very well, but it's still on our website as it has to do with the coal center. It says right there, hope is in the neighborhood. Hope is in the neighborhood. Well, that's where hope is supposed to be, in neighborhoods, where people are, where people drive around, where people have homes, where, where there are dinner table conversations. Hope is in the neighborhood, and we stayed here because we did not want to be the people to run from, to escape from the harsh realities of life. We wanted to be the people who would help, help put some skin and flesh on the neighborhood, on the gospel in the neighborhood. And it feels to me like a discussion of neighbors and neighborliness and, and neighborhoods. It feels like we, we need to reimagine and re-envision what we're doing as a church so that we can all better be aware that what we're trying to do here is learn better neighboring skills. We're all trying to come here and learn, probably be reformed in some sense. We want to less and less be the people who see our neighbors as suspects or at least as suspicious, and more and more we want to be the people who learn and learn to embody neighboring skills so that we can be people of faith in our neighborhoods. Yes, this neighborhood, but wherever you are as well. And all of this discussion of neighborhood brings to mind uh, this, this figure that some of you will, will know. Now, this is a very old show. It actually lasts until 2003. It's unbelievable. But uh, this is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And how many of you did watch this when it was running? Unbelievable. A lot of you didn't. I just want you to kind of just take a good look at this. I've never had so much video as I'm going to have in this, in this sermon. And, um, and actually, Fred Rogers is going to actually preach the end of my sermon. But enjoy this it's right now. Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> yeah, that's as violent as it ever got right there. That's, that's... 
I wonder why Fred Rogers is all the rage right now. Because he is. I mean, last summer there was this huge documentary. We're going to be watching portions of that today. And there is currently in the theaters uh, a movie starring Tom Hanks who is playing Fred, Rog Fred Rogers. I mean, there is this sort of renaissance of all things Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And, and I, I, don't, I wonder why. I mean, I have some guesses. I, I have some guesses that living in the era in which we are living we sense the loss of kindness. We sense a, a loss of neighborliness. Maybe, maybe what we're doing is we're pining for a simpler time, and because we are. <laughs> a time that was just simpler and easier, where people were nicer, where people knew their neighbors. Maybe that's why Fred Rogers is such a compelling figure. Wouldn't it be fun to be Fred Rogers' neighbor. <laughs> to have somebody like that living next door that could put some skin and some flesh on kindness, care, compassion. We, we sense somehow deep within us that we need something with some skin on it. <laughs> we sense the need to be in the proximity of one who knows and cares. I, I think we are formed to need the incarnation. Now, the incarnation, hard to find a subject matter that is, is more difficult to talk through and work through, more mysterious than the incarnation. I'm gonna take a shot at it today, but I want you to know, even at the end of this sermon, it will still be a mystery. Because the incarnation is the way that we're gonna try to talk through how the God that big, how big, John, uh, uh, that big, Big, bigger than big can be the same God that we see and celebrate skin in a manger as an infant. How can that giant God that we read about, Psalm 29, that has the capacity to whip a storm through an area and tear it to pieces and then sit in a throne on top of the storm. How can that God be that big and yet that local? Well, that is the mystery of the incarnation. And that's what we're going to work on today. But, but let's explore the edges of this mystery today. Written very intentionally is John 1. In the beginning, heard those words before. You're supposed to remember that those words have been heard before. All the way back. Genesis 1. Yeah, that's the point right here. That God, all the way back in Genesis 1, is now being heard from again in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. Loaded language there. The Word, capital W, you'll recognize there. It's probably, probably capitalized in your Bibles. The Logos, the message. In the beginning was this giant message. And this message created everything that there is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Might have been translated face-to-face -face with God. Beyond that, and the Word was God. We keep reading here. He was in the beginning with God. You're supposed to have your mind and your imagination stretched now to try as best you can to behold the grandeur and the magnitude, the size, the capacity, the breadth and width of this God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being 
What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming now into the world. That God, the creator of all of the heavenly lights, was coming to a neighborhood near you. Now, why? <laughs> why would God travel such distance? Why would God put forth that kind of effort? Why would God go so far to be so small when God is so big? Well, we said it kind of last night, so let me underscore it here a little bit. God came here for us. To be here with us. To build a people. I've always said this to you. God has always wanted to have a body. There was a point in time when that body we referred to as Jesus. God still wants to have a body. Now we refer to that body as, well, all y'all. <laughs> here in Oklahoma is what we say, all y'all. The church, the body of Christ. But in coming, in coming, and being this local, this God would be subjected to all of the same aches and pains and anxieties and fears that you and I are subject to. He was in the world, and the world came, to be, came into being through him, and yet the world that he made did not know him. He came to that, he came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Then he starts to build a people. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born, in a sense, not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And then here it is. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Okay, so there it is. And again, it's still mysterious. And I can't work it out mathematically for you, but what we have here in the first 14 verses of the book of John, what we have here is this mystery that a God that big would come this close. That a God that big and that out here would come close enough to be tangible and touchable. It is almost as if God, God's self insists that faith would be tangible and touchable. All right. Soapbox warning. I don't do a whole lot of the posting on the Facebooks, but I, I do drive by and take a look at it and slow down for the same reason I slow down when there's an accident on the road. <laughs> same muscles. And I stumbled across something really bugged me. It wasn't somebody in the room. But it was, again, this sense that on a post that was trying to, trying to at least discuss these hard issues that we are facing as a country, a poster, in response to the original post, commented and said, 
Yeah, but the problem happens when you try to apply Scripture to the things of government or the things of military. Oh, okay. So in the mind of the poster, then, you have different kingdoms, right? You have a kingdom in which it makes sense to quote Scripture and apply Scripture, but then you have, let's call it the real world. By the way, over here, people die. My objection is this. There seems to be an intentional move here on the part of God to move from the ethereal and the heavenly places to the very and most tangible places in all of life. How dare we ever insinuate that Christianity should somehow be separated from the tangibility of life? When our God does all that God does to get all the way here, people. The mystery of the incarnation is one of the reasons I would say, poster's not in the room, the commenter's not in the room, but one of the reasons that I would say to both, look, the incarnation is all the evidence that we need that God intends to be part of every one of the rooms that makes up your life. That God intends to be a part of every one of the conversations that has to do with life. That God intends to be a part of the thinking and the theologizing that finally allows us to organize our resources and our energy and our time. In other words, there is no such place as a God-forsaken place because of the incarnation. Do not fall into the trap of letting anyone ever tell you Christianity belongs here while real life happens over here. That is not the gospel. The gospel has more skin than that. So, the word becomes flesh. We have seen his glory. Then we get to this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Hannah, is that frozen up there? Because it is supposed to be. There it is. So, the person of God comes to gather a people of God so that the people of God, and by the way, that's a picture of us, so that the people of God would carry on the tradition of making faith tangible. Making faith locatable. Making faith real. Because I'm not sure if it is real, if it's not also tangible. The incarnation is more than an insinuation, it is more than a suggestion. The incarnation screams from the rooftops. No, it's all real. <laughs> it's all in bounds. God comes to us, that God comes all the way here, comes to us on a local basis so that the local too can be transformed into the likeness of God. But how, what does it look like what will we do 
if we're going to try now to understand the incarnation, but also understand what it means to be people who are supposed to continue the process of incarnation, then what's it going to look like? Let's go back to Mr. Rogers. We wrote because Jeff was going to have a spinal fusion and be in a, what they call a halo, a, cast, you know, a metal cast. rim and then cast on his shoulders and bolted all, all the way together. down his trunk. Yeah. We he may not sure. have survived the surgery. And so we said, you know, what would you like to do? Uh, this is going to be a really big task for you. And so we want to kick it off with something that would be really special. Mr. Rogers? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> I'm glad to see you. Hi. Thank you very much for coming by. Can you tell my friends what it is that made you need this wheelchair? Sure. Well, when I was about seven months old, I had, um, I had a tumor, and it broke the nerves to tell my hands and legs what to do. I see. And I got a wheelchair when I was four years old. That was your first one? Mm-hmm. When you were four? Uh-huh. He told Jeff before they started that they would have a chat and then sing a song together. I think he said we might sing a song, yeah. I remember, because yeah. I mean, I was sort of surprised. What, he's going to start singing a song? Well, you know, this is totally not even what song. <laughs> it's you. I like it's not the things you wear it's not the way you do your hair but it's you I like the way you are right now the way down deep inside you not the things that hide you not your fancy chair that's just beside you it's you, you I, I like, like every part of, of you. you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's, it's you. It's you. I like. And it is you I like, Jeff. Thanks. And there must be times when you do feel blue. Uh-huh. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. I remember asking one of, the, one of the staff people that was there, well, you know, what do you think? Did it go okay? So, Don't. This is good. This is good. He had his surgery. He survived. Certainly, Mr. Rogers had an impact on who Jeff became, his sense of self. Certainly, Mr. Rogers had an impact on who Jeff became, his sense of self. So, as Mr. Rogers takes us now all the way home, <laughs> let me say this to us. Perhaps as we explore the mystery of incarnation, Mr. Rogers gives us a clue of a couple things. One, of what it is that God can do when God moves into a neighborhood. Affect someone's sense of self. Maybe also it's a clue 
as to what it might look like if we were to continue this rich tradition of incarnational theology. As you and I try to figure out what it looks like to be good neighbors, maybe something as simple as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood has something for us, some resources. And by the way, by the way, simple does not mean easy, right? But let's not mistake that I think it is simple to appreciate the humanity and the dignity of the other, to show kindness, care, and even love, to look out for and provide for the other. That is not only the way that God moves in our lives as God moves into our neighborhoods, but it is also the ways that we can enter into every difficult situation and conversation with anybody else we might come into contact with. Mm, that feels good. Oh, there's Officer Clemens. Hi, Officer Clemens. Come Hello, in. Rogers. How are you? Fine. Won't you sit down? Oh, sure. Just for a moment. It's so warm. I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? That looks awfully enjoyable, but I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay, sure. Around the country, they didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. And Fred said, that is absolutely ridiculous. Today, trouble under a noon sun. Negroes and white rabbis marched to a segregated hotel with these results. Manager James Brock told them to get off his private property, tossed uh, cleaning chemicals inside the pool in an effort to get the Negroes to leave. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. Cool water on a hot day. <laughs> the look on his face there at the end is like, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm making a dent. And by the way, he made a dent. Did you know that you can make a dent? Did you know that God seeks to make a God-shaped dent in all of these ugly conversations around us in and through you. One more video. It's a long one. It is the longest video I've ever played for you. And this is where Fred Rogers concludes the sermon. He received, he was actually inducted into the TV Hall of Fame in 1997. And this is the speech with which he ended his acceptance of that, of that award. Now, he's going to talk about the virtue of television, believe it or not. By the way, he was a Presbyterian, ordained Presbyterian minister. Didn't know that. He's going to talk about the virtue of television. But as he delivers this speech at the end of this clip, I, I want you to substitute in your mind, because I don't think he would mind. Every time he says TV, I want you to think Christianity or Christians, or faith, or the church, and see if it doesn't work for us. Please welcome Jeffrey Erlinger. Yeah. 
It's an honor to be here tonight, to be part of your proud this proud moment. You know, when, when you tell people that it's you I, it's you I like, you, we know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like. Absolutely. Okay. Well, yeah. to Jeff Erlinger and all of the uh, all of the wonderful neighbors who have grown up with our neighborhood. This this was, of course, completely unexpected and what a what a wonderful gift and I thank the Academy for allowing this to happen uh, Jeff and I haven't been together for a while we met when he was I think four years old five such good neighbors well this is what I wanted to tell you before I knew that I'd have this great gift tonight fame is a four-letter word. And like tape, or zoom, or face, or pain, or life, or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job we are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen, day and night. The conductor of the orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl grew up in a family that had little interest in music, but he often tells people he found his early inspiration from the fine musicians on television. Last month, a 13-year-old boy abducted an eight-year-old girl. And when people ask him why, he said he learned about it on TV. Something different to try, he said. Life's cheap, what does it matter? Well, life isn't cheap. It's the greatest mystery of any millennium, and television needs to do all it can to broadcast that, to show and tell what the good in life is all about. But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own. By treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves. And allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take 10 seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us, 
and wanted what was best for us in life. Those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. No matter where they are, either here or in heaven, imagine how pleased those people must be to know that you thought of them right now. We all have only one life to live on earth, and through television, we have the choice of encouraging others to demean this life or to cherish it in creative, imaginative ways. On behalf of all of us at Family Communications and the Public Broadcasting Service, I thank you for all the good that you do in this unique enterprise and for wanting our neighborhood to be a part of the celebration tonight. Thank you very much. So while the Incarnation remains a mystery, folks like Fred Rogers at least give us some idea of what God must look like when God moves into a neighborhood. And at the same time, folks like Fred Rogers give us some idea of what it must look like when the people of God finally take seriously the calling we have to be Incarnational tangible, touchable, and I know it's hard work. It's part of the reason we've invited so many different congregations to call this place home. This is one complicated neighborhood. It matters how you park your car. Please park knowing that even in the process of parking your car, you are either striking a blow for or against neighborliness. Even as you walk these halls, you have four different language groups today. Even as you walk these halls, the expression on your face, the effort that you might make to learn a word or a phrase so that you can greet somebody else, all of that is not just you being nice. Perhaps, perhaps it is also God using you to be incarnational. Again, I know it's hard work. That's why we practice every week. Every week, Christ himself hosts us. Hosts us. And the hope is that we, over a period of time, are then shaped to be hosts ourselves. If you're helping us, go ahead and help us. Come on up and help us to set this table. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, God. And as we take into our own bodies these symbols, broken body and shed blood as we take them into ourselves. May they strengthen us to see how it is that you have reached toward us. And at the same time, may they strengthen us and strengthen our imaginations so that we can see how it is that you are using us to reach into our neighborhoods to make us better and better neighbors. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pews to the left. 
and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive a piece of bread. You'll walk forward with your hands cupped, please, because it is a gift of grace that is given to you and it is not gotten in any other way. Someone will take a piece of bread and press it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you, but don't eat it just yet. Take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then, and then take and eat and be nourished. Be fed. Be satisfied. Be moved. Be transformed. And then find a place to pray. Now you may decide to circle all the way back to your pew, and that's just fine. I would encourage you, though, to pray. If you're going to circle back to your pew, please pray that God would shape you, that the incarnation would shape you to be incarnational. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we have one or two people who will meet you there and pray a prayer for healing for you. And it doesn't matter what you bring to that altar with you. It could be a physical need, but it might be mental or emotional. It might be familial, it might be relational. But if you need a moment of healing, then someone will meet you there. And Lee, if you'll help us over here. And Pastor Daniel and Kristen will help us over here. Then someone will meet you there and pray that prayer of healing for you. Or you may want to come to one of these front altars. We've already asked Ben and Hannah to come right here. And, and someone will come along and touch you on the back or the neck because tangibility is important. I want you to be tangibly aware that you are not alone that there is someone praying with you and praying for you. And hopefully in some way, the people who are touching you on the back of the neck, the shoulder, the head, will give you this deep sense that this God is not just after your soul, but your life and your body. Who is welcome to come to this table? Great news. If you recognize your need for grace, that is all we need to know. We don't need to know about the other ways in which you have failed even this morning. If you understand your need for grace, this is the right place for you. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. If you'd like to make a special trip here and dip your fingers into this little bowl of water, the baptistry here, it will remind you, it's meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism and your inclusion in this very unusual family. If you need to be reminded, this is how you can do that. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, if you would stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.